Hello. We would like to welcome you to another episode of Reading Across the Curriculum, a book talk series on our Changemaker Conversations in Education podcast channel of the Alberta Regional Professional Development Consortia, or ARPDC. Once again, I'm Rick Gilson, Executive Director of the Southern Alberta Regional Office of ARPDC, and my co-host in this series is still Charlie Craig, thankfully, of the Learning (laughs) Network Services Office. Just before we get into our visit with our guest today, I would like to acknowledge that we're coming to you from Alberta, Canada, and I'm particularly coming to you from the southern portion of Alberta, and would like to acknowledge that I live on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot, uh, Treaty 7 it is called, and Métis Region 3, and that I'm very mindful of the blessing that is mine to share this land with all those who have gone before me. Uh, Today in particular, it's uh, February 1 as we record this, and uh, I have a a dear old gentleman who turns 103 today, a veteran of World War II and has lived in this region his entire life. And uh, I think that this uh, illustrates to me that we draw upon the wisdom of those who have gone before us, Mm -hmm. our elders of all walks of life and all races, that we should mindfully be aware of that, recognizing that this uh, this land is a land we share with mm-hmm. all those who have gone before. Charlie, your thoughts? Well, I'm joining from the city of Red Deer, which um, is unique in that it borders or is part of um, land that is recognized by both Treaty 6, which is north of the Red Deer River, Mm -hmm. and Treaty 7, which is south of the Red Deer River. And as the river um, is a natural gathering place, um, historically and presently based on traffic out there, um, it, it is home and remains home to Blackfoot, Sutina, Stony Nakoda, Métis Cree, and so too peoples. Um, But I think for me, that's important to acknowledge these relationships um, and history with the land, because Mm -hmm. it shifts our thinking from land ownership to land stewardship, and how we are part of as opposed to over of, you know, over the land. Um, I've recently speaking of books. recently came across this one treaty words for as long as the rivers flow by amy craft it is a teen young adult read but the beauty of this story is a girl and her mushroom are talking and he's explaining about how treaties are not just those documents that were signed historically but they are the relationships that have forever been part of the way the world works and so Um, treaties are the basis of all relationships we learned them from everything around us that was the gift the creator gave us and it goes on and on about the different relationships that we see and witness within nature Mm -hmm. and how that relationship piece was mirrored or assumed to be mirrored in the signing of the treaties with the crown Mm -hmm. and um, Mm -hmm. so if you don't have that one on your shelves yet I highly recommend we remind our listeners that we uh, attempt to include all of the titles that are shared in our visit t- today and every day in the notes that accompany the podcast. So, 
Well, we're welcoming our friend Tanist Nizel today, and I'm going to read uh, the embarrassing bio for you, Tanis, and then you can go ahead and jump in and, you know, I, I always feel weird when people read my bio and I'm in the room. Um, so Tanis is currently supporting Alberta teachers as a uh, professional learning facilitator with Edmonton Regional Consortia. She's served as a curriculum consultant for Edmonton Catholic and throughout her 30 year career as an educator, both in Edmonton and Winnipeg, Tanis remains passionate about teaching and learning and the need for explicit literacy apprenticeship at all levels and in all subject areas. Mm -hmm. Tannis is a voracious reader, which is probably what got her on this podcast, my <laughs> friends. And she believes that all students deserve access to rich, diverse reading experiences and to a safe, equitable space to talk about what they see, hear, think, and feel. She is on a journey to disrupt and bring clarity to the conversations that drive our planning and assessment practices. We, of course, have honor the honor of being in sessions and conversations the last couple of years um, throughout ARPDC with Tanis. And uh, we're looking forward to our time today where we can talk books, reading, literacy, and whatever else kind of pops up in conversation. So with that said, welcome, friend. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be so, here. What are you reading these days, Tanis? Oh, you know personally what? I, or professionally, we can go in either direction here. Yes. Well, you know what? I've been reading a lot personally, but also a lot professionally. So um, reading identity fascinates me. And I often, you know, had these conversations with my high school students. Um, I'm having that conversation with teachers as they explore reader identity, perhaps in some of my sessions, right? So what kind of a reader are you? How does that impact how you see your kids? You know, whether you're a science teacher, a social teacher, language arts, whatever it is, we kind of bring that to that literacy piece, right? So right now I'm actually in that, I'm, I'm reading what might be considered not very literary, you know, in value. So I, 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 it, it, you know, people talk about like beach reads or, you know, summer trash read. I mean, whatever you want to call it. But I have this, um, this alter ego that I think at one time, and I, and I, I know this from ancestry research, having a grandfather from the UK, that I actually love to be out in, you know, a British, a UK county. So right now I'm in Devon and I'm reading uh, Marcia Willett. And a, a little bit of a, a three-part series about, you know, the, the Chadwick family. And I'm just escaping into that, this sort of family saga. And it's kind of a place that I go to every once in a while, uh, away from other kinds of books that I'm reading. So that's what I'm reading right now. Yeah. I love it. I love it because um, I don't get to visit Paris or France often, but when I cannot... I do it through books. And so um, I recently read Jacqueline in Paris, which is Jackie Kennedy Onassis, um, visiting Paris before she became Kennedy. And like she did this year abroad and what she did there. And it's historical fiction, which I'm also yeah. a fan of. Um, I like listening to audiobooks that are like British or Irish, <gasps> just because there's so much fun to listen to. And there's parts that I think 
translate as funny as a listener, but I don't know if they're always supposed to be funny, like in the actual <laughs> text because of the accent and you're just appreciating yeah. the stories that are being shared. And the different kinds of expressions, right? Like, mm -hmm. like the range cooker, uh, you know, in the kitchen or, uh, you know, the house on the edge of a village, like all of the little idiosyncrasies. Yeah, are quite, quite good. Yeah. They let us travel the world. I, I, I somehow stumbled across a book called The Geography of Genius, Lessons oh. from the World's Most Creative Places. Uh, it's by uh, Eric Weiner, W-E-I-N-E-R, and nonfiction work. And the first place is Athens, Greece. Mm -hmm. And he visits the region and learns from people about the region and what that what was unique to that region mm. that cultivated genius mm. and uh, future chapters like i just started but uh, this one kept me up last night reading and but it it's a deep dive into the you get to go mm. there I, mm -hmm. you know i won't get to go to all these places there's florence there's calcutta mm -hmm. in future chapters in the book but it's fascinating yeah the other book that I'm reading or just finished actually is Lessons in Chemistry. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. Yes, you have, Charlie. I so have, yeah. it's um, it's got so much going on. Uh, one of the things I love most about it, at one point, the, their dog, and his name is 630, as in the time 630, um, he becomes uh, an, the alternate narrator in the story. But it's this 1950s uh, woman who is a chemist and, of course, doesn't get the respect that she deserves. So there's some feminist, you know, pieces in there, which are fantastic. Um, also, uh, just funny. It's like a really funny book. And I've heard that they're thinking about making it into a series, um, which would be just brilliant. Uh, I'll, I, I don't want to give it all away, but I'll just say... Her career takes an interesting turn that may involve her doing an on-television cooking show <laughs> and, and using and using all of the scientifically correct terms for the ingredients. And of course, we all know that cooking is is chemistry. It's it's brilliant. I, I encourage you to read it, both of you. I just finished listening to The Hundred Years of Lenny and Margot by Marianne Cronin. Oh. And so there's two narrators. One is a 17 year old. Um, mm -hmm. And the other one is Margot, and she's 83. And they meet in a hospital because um, the 17 year old is terminally ill and Margot has heart problems. But they switch between narration. And as it goes, um, you hear Lenny's stories and her funny, funny personality. And then Margot's life story. Um, mm -hmm. It is one that requires Kleenex. I'm a crier when I read. And um, so, you know, as I'm listening to it in the car and then I arrive at my destination and I'm like this bubbling, blubbering, red eyed, I just finished the best book. Um, it's one of those. So it, it should come with its own Kleenex box. Yeah. But the, she's uh, got an Irish accent. So that's yeah. what made, I loved it because there's the accents going on. So yeah always makes it for good for listening. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're getting off topic already and we're not, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about books. How could it be off topic? <laughs> Have you got some books up your sleeve that um, 
you often recommend to teachers to like, this would be a great one to add to a, a classroom library, or this would be a great one to like, I know you've built those beautiful digital bookshelves, which we could probably link in our notes yeah. um, for mm -hmm. the podcast. But are there any ones that you find yourself going to as, you know, oh, this is a good one. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, actually. Um, so myself and Morgan Coates, who is a curriculum consultant with Alka Island Public, he and I have partnered together and we're doing a monthly um, meetup called Text Talk Tuesdays and it's high school teachers. And we have, it, it's amazing what high school teachers will attend and will kind of put, you know, show up for. Uh, it's on Zoom, but we have 56 teachers that are signed up for that, which really kind of surprised me. And um, all we do is just talk about, you know, books. Uh, each month has a different genre, because of course, when we talk text, it's, it's like everything, right? Um, but we were talking last week about um, novels. So one of the ones that's really big right now, and it was on Obama's list for 2022, is um, is Ducks. And oh, it's yeah. a, yes, it's a graphic novel. Uh, and it's on the it's, Canada Reads. It's, it's Canada on Reads Canada book. Reads as well. It's just like, it's made quite a splash, you know, out there. And of, uh, by Kate Beaton. And it's um, it's graph it's a graphic text as well, which is fantastic. Uh, so kids can really get into it. Uh, it's a great sort of coming of age story. Uh, it's local. It takes place in Fort McMurray, where I'm going. Mm. Actually, I'm going there tomorrow. Um, it's it's about environment, toxic masculinity, um, capitalism, mental health, uh, power of creativity, just about everything. But it's uh, it's beautiful. It's not that long, but it's just got all kinds of things going on. So that's a book that we've talked about a fair bit. Um, Scarborough. I don't know mm. if you've read that. Yeah. Yes. Canadian again. Catherine Hernandez. Um, you know, we have uh, Catherine Hernandez keynoting the Lit Institute in May. Right. Right. You know what's funny? I I knew I'd heard it somewhere else before apart from this and it's that which I have to register for by the way yes please um, you and everybody else yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah so it's yeah it takes place you know in in Toronto and it's you know big urban center and all the stuff that you know kind of comes with that it's um you know racism community you know, what, what is, what does it mean to live in community and in, in 2023, uh, family, gender, you know, gender diversity, poverty. Um, I was listening, um, watching. I, so I watch, uh, finding your roots, Henry Louis Gates, um, uh, hosts it. And he has every episode. He has two, uh, two celebrities who they investigate their roots. And Viola Davis was on uh, last night. Oh, and she talked about what it meant. And I mean, she's not that old. I mean, she's what, in her 40s? Uh, about living and growing up in poverty and what that means, you know, in a, in a community, um, in a, it, it just what it meant for her in, in school, 
you know, that there are times where like they didn't have hot water. Uh, the water, you know, the, the heating bill wasn't like there was no hot water and washing her clothes the night before and in cold water so that she had fresh clothes for school and going to school sometimes when your clothes were damp and, you know, just that whole, you know, perspective, um, you know, that we bring uh, to, to the, as a reader to the classroom. So we've got kids, you know, sitting in our classrooms who may be shelter insecure or food insecure or w- whatever that looks like. And it's so important, you know, for our kids to have a book like Scarborough, you know, to see themselves. We talk about uh, Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, you know, in her famous 1991 essay on books being windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors. And for so long, you know, uh, for a lot of our kids, you know, our books have only, you know, been windows, right? I know for me, and for probably the two of you, books were always mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. We we saw ourselves uh, in in what we were reading, but for, you know, a lot of our kids, you know, they're they're not. So it's really great to have a book like this, where for somebody, you know, that grew up perhaps like, like we did, um, that book is a window. Scarborough is a huge window and what it means to be in a large urban center in Canada and to have those struggles and, yeah. you know, build resilience. So a great book. You know, that that's a really interesting point. One I've been reflecting on quite a bit is that uh, I look back to my yearbook and my team pictures in particular Mm-hmm. Uh, I graduated from Harry Ainley High School in Edmonton in yeah. 1970s and uh, was fortunate enough to be on the first two city champions, totally unrelated to books now right here. But when you talk about windows, the book and mirrors, the books I read in class weren't just a mirror for me. They were a mirror for 99% mm-hmm. of the kids in my class. Yeah. And that class picture today and that team picture today, it is much more diverse, mm-hmm. incredibly diverse. And uh, the books need to represent that. Yeah. The books that are in the classroom, in the classroom library, the books and stories that are being used by the teachers, it, it needs to represent that. And it's, it's funny, we're not there yet, right? We've had mm-hmm. disrupt text people present and not have the big audience necessarily that we should have for what has become an increasingly diverse population. Mm-hmm. So Winston Churchill in Calgary for grade 10 and 11, very similar then. Today, that's an entirely different demographic as well. And then grade 12 at Ainley. Mm-hmm. So. It one of my, nicely. Go ahead, Tennis. No, I was going to say one of my favorite uh, quotations is uh, by Kazuo Ishiguro. I never say that name correctly. Of course, he wrote... Uh, uh, remains of the day and a Nobel, you know, prize-winning um, author. Uh, but he says this, and I actually made a point of of pulling this up, so I got it right um, in case it came up. And it says, "But in the end, stories are about one person saying to another, this is the way it feels to me. Can you understand what I'm saying? Does it also feel this way to you?" And I think that's what it's all about. I know, right? I just I, I get tingles every time. I use this and I, and I use it often because yeah, like that's what it is. It's um, and and I think of language arts, you know, teaching language arts, whether it's, you know, kindergarten, grade six, grade nine, grade 12. uh, It is all about 
you know, sharing stories and talking about them and making that uh, connection between not just my life, but the lives of, of, you know, the other people who are in the room. And I often think that texts have a, um, have a living human quality and that they're another voice in the room. So when I bring in Scarborough or I bring in um, all American boys uh, that, you know, I'm bringing those voices, those characters into the room. Um, yeah, it's, it's a powerful thing. Well, and something that you're alluding to Tanis that I think is part of this ongoing tension, mm. particularly in a language or its classroom, but it likely exists in other structures within other subject areas mm. that I'm just not as familiar with. But I feel, I always felt that there is this push and pull between the arts part of language mm. arts and then like the, the structural kind of mm-hmm. meat and potatoes, for lack of a better term. Mechanics. Mechanics, mm-hmm. yeah, part of language arts. And it's just like this you know we we kind of push and pull back and forth mm-hmm. between those two and and you know as you're speaking i'm just getting the sense of that we're teaching the mechanics through the art that we're never losing sight of the art um that that it's not the mechanics first and then we sprinkle we just sprinkle some art on top um you know like it's there's a there's a mindfulness about what you're speaking to i think mm-hmm. um and perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about um your approach or your classroom experiences as it relates to literacy or language arts education mm-hmm. yeah you know as you were talking charlie it made me think of you know some of the great some of the gurus that i followed you know in in my in my life as a teacher, you know, whether it's Penny Kittle, Kelly Gallagher, um, but I was also thinking about Jeff uh, Jeff Anderson. Uh, uh, Jeff Anderson, I got that name right correctly, I think, um, and his patterns of power, where he talks about you know the whole idea of conventions, and um, you know looking at you know grammar, and mm-hmm. and there's there's a great text out there, and I think it's is it Jeffrey Clark. I, forget his name now, um, where he talks about the glamour of grammar, right? So that there, there is something, you know, uh, beautiful about, and it's, it's shifting that, that uh, lens, right? Um, Jeff Anderson talks about, you know, using the scientific method, you know, when we approach a piece of text that then in fact, we're kind of interrogating it a little bit, what's it doing? So it's not about being able, and I want to do over, you know, like I, like I look back to my some of my teaching, I go, oh my God, I did the parts of speech unit, you know, <laughs> in the first week of September, and then all of the figurative language, and then I tested it, and then nobody <laughs> used any of it, right? right? Nobody used any of it, right? As opposed to of that, you know, just in time, you know, kind of teaching and learning, you know, that mini lesson with a really, you know, lots of great mentor texts. Gosh, I'd wish I'd had that in my secondary training. But you know what? We do better, you know, no better, you do better. But, you know, he talks about, you know, asking the question, you know, what is, it's not, do can you identify and do a matching, you know, quiz? you know, on, you know, what's a comma, what's a, you know, an exclamation mark, what's, you know, a semicolon, it's about what it does, you know, it's an active living, 
uh, symbology, right? About it, it guides our reading. I remember Penny Kittle being in a in a room with her, and she uh, one of one of the things that she said is one of the best, um, you know, quick little reads on on what a student, you know, gets from a piece of text is is having him or her read a passage the way the author intended it. And I thought, oh, that's just so great, right? Just a little, like read this paragraph, you know, do it on Flipgrid, do it wherever you like, but it's, you know, how did the author intend this piece to be read? And then we can have a conversation about, you know, that semicolon, that, that, or the one word sentence, you know, teaching kids to break the rules of grammar, you know, for voice, right? Yeah, like what impact does it have when it, you follow the rules? Yeah. What impact oh. does it have when you push against the rules and you do something a little bit yeah. different, right? Um, Rebecca Odell had a <gasps> thing on Twitter yes. this morning and she was like, okay, friends, like we teach these forms of writing in very purest ways. Um, but I can't find mentor texts that do that because no one is writing in these very pure <laughs> forms. We're bridging, we're you know, hybriding, we're doing all of these things. So are, should we be, you know, doing just this purest form? And I know where this is a reading podcast and we're talking about writing now, but uh, we also it's a literacy know podcast. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> there's this interwoven piece, right? And uh, seriously, I remember being in grade five, reading the hatchet, our teacher did a read aloud with the hatchet. And I wrote like Gary Polson for like the rest of for a very long time there was a lot of single word sentences in my writing after reading the hatchet because that's what he did and i was like that's brilliant yeah right they're interconnected but i remember linda reef um so i had an ex i had an experience in the summer of 2018 that was just fantastic so um i had invited penny kittle to be the keynote at the english language arts um council conference in in May of 2018 and sitting at the table with her and we'd kind of been back and forth. And she says, you know, you should apply to our um, Tyrolia Institute. And it was the first sort of inaugural one. Uh, and it was being held at Kylene Beers Ranch. And I know it sounds like I'm name dropping a little bit and fangirling, but I totally am. Um, <laughs> and so um, so it was, it was uh, it, long story short, I put my application in and I was one of, um, three Canadians out of 20 attendees that got to go and hang out at Kylene Beard's ranch for a week. And uh, so in attendance, of course, was Bob Probst, you know, and Penny Kittle and Linda Reef. And I remember we were, we were, uh, Linda Reef was, we, and of course, it was just in, in the living room, kind of hanging out, right, doing, having these conversations. She talked about voice. So I'm getting back, Charlie, to, to what you were talking about in terms of, you know, you found from Hatchet those those little pieces that just transformed your writing voice. And Linda Reef said, she says, yeah, she says, you know, those six trait writing rubrics, you know, and the one for voice. And it says, you know, something to the effect of um, the reader can hear or the voice of the of the writer come or the personality of the writer comes through. And I won't use the language that she used, but it was kind of to the effect of, you know, what the what the heck does that mean? You know, how does that actually, how does that guide the reader and the writer at all? And of course, then she, you know, kind of shifted it and we started to examine some pieces of student writing. And 
constructed what how voice in fact was created and it was it was through things like you know conventions uh, punctuation uh those kind of revision decisions that Jeff Anderson talks about right is is those are that you know mechanics is just this little little piece on a on a PT or diploma rubric but revision is all the rest of it right making those those craft moves that that really moves the piece forward but more importantly that there's a reader at the other end of it right and that's the hole that we kind of fall into a little bit as teachers is that that we forget that we're creating readers and writers first uh, rather than readers and writers who sometimes have a big test right so i think that's <laughs> right and that's the you know that teaching to the test right and so we forget that yeah, they're readers and writers first. Yeah. Some somehow we have to change, eliminate that. It has to be uh, teaching to the life. Yes. Just that. Just it, what are you? What are you doing? I'm teaching to the life. It, it, you know, it it is truly that simple. When you get right down to it, I, I'm, I might write some tests because somebody says I need to. Although I would certainly argue you don't need to ever mm -hmm. in these subjects. Um, but uh yeah like i want every one of my students to grow up to be readers and writers in some way shape or form that mm -hmm. that should be if that's not your prime directive like what what's the prime directive to create kids who thirst to read mm -hmm. and and write in whatever form text lots of dot dot dots between the words whatever the case yeah. may be mm -hmm. they take some text and block out this and block out that and bring out something else for you to see for the first time it doesn't does it truly matter i mean we mm -hmm. haven't talked at all about multimodal but you know mm -hmm. i mean that's so much of this is mm -hmm. we've been in a box and we have to get out of a box yeah rick you you really you know hit the nail on the head as the saying goes is that yeah, we want kids to be uh, exposed to texts that, you know, relate to, that they can relate to, um, and that that are openings to some really great rigorous expression, right? Mm -hmm. I, and I, I use writing, you know, writing is kind of like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's everything, right? It's, it is that multimodal piece. It's creating, you know, video, it's creating visuals, what, whatever that might look like, but kids have lots to say, and we have to create those conditions in the classroom through the texts we choose, through the conversations that we're having um, for that to happen. Um, and writing, gosh, if we could get away from, you know, that formulaic, you know, defaulting to form too early, um, I'm a big fan, and this goes back to, okay, so we talked earlier about my, you know, first 10 years of teaching or in Winnipeg, and at a time when there were no departmental exams. So I had also started my my master's in secondary language arts right after my first year of teaching, because I realized that I was just beginning uh, to know what I was, know what I was doing, and I still don't know what I'm doing, but I, I really, I really realized that I had to continue. So I was part of the Manitoba Writing Project, um, which of course modeled itself after, um, and I won't say what year it was because that would really age me quite a bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was a good time to be to be doing some work, um, you know, to be in a master's program because I was reading Peter Elbow, um, you know, 
talking about um, bulk reading, uh, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. So in my classroom, like we were journaling every day, um, free writing, kids, there were 24 different novels going in, on in my classroom at the same time. I got rid of my teacher desk um, and that was 1982. You were ahead of the curve, Tannis, in yeah, so but I many mean, ways. It was just crazy, right? Yeah, you know, we were doing Bloom's Taxonomy and we were, uh, you know, kids, yeah, I had a, it, 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 yeah, it was just like there was permission to do all of those things. Um, and every time I read something, I was just like a sponge. It was like, oh, I could do this. I was also single and no kids, but that's a whole <laughs> other story. <laughs> But Tannis, just press pause there for just a sec. You were a, a member of a department of English teachers in the school and administration. Did it was all supported that that loose changing environment from that time? I started in eighty five. I didn't don't yeah. think even when I moved to the high school in eighty nine, the idea of well, I don't really want to do it that way. Uh, there was a department head that could kind of. Mm, mm. You had that freedom. Yeah. Well, there. So that at that time I was teaching junior high, mm -hmm. which is still I just love those critters. They're still my favorites. Um, but that, yeah, there was definitely some. I had I had one teacher that I, I kind of convinced to do this with me, and we, yeah, we just recreated like I. I and then you ask for forgiveness afterwards, right? So like my dad came in in the summertime and built a reader's theater stage in my classroom. I found out later that, you know, the, Probably the, shouldn't un do that. the union wasn't happy, you know, created, created other kinds of things. And I, and I actually sincerely didn't know that, um, you know, when you're, you're 24, 25, like, no, yeah, you know, you have no idea. Um, but yeah, it just greatest compliment I got was that, that, my yeah people thought i was it was a it was an elementary classroom or a library one of the others so yeah and your parents and and your students but i'm going to guess that uh i've, I've always believed that what parents want to know is that their sons and daughters mm. know how to read know how to write write mm -hmm. love reading Maybe they don't necessarily love, but they, they are comfortable doing. They can sit at the dinner table and carry on a conversation about something that they've read, no matter at, at whatever their grade level is. And then they're, that's the assurance they need. Yeah. They don't need 73 or 7.2 on a written response. They, they, they don't need mm. that. So, Rick, that's really interesting. So I had Facebook Messenger is very interesting right? Because you can have people reach out to you. So I have um, two, two of my ex-students. Um, I, I could say their names, but I, I don't know if I should on, on a podcast, but you could maybe say their first name, but this. Yeah. So, so Garnet and Aaron. So Garnet reaches out on Facebook. He says, are you the Miss Baxter who taught us, uh, you know, back at River Heights Junior High in Winnipeg? And I said, uh, yeah. I said, and of course, I recognized his name kind of right away. He said, Aaron and I were, he's in Toronto. He says, I'm in Chicago. And he said, uh, we were watching Homecoming with, I think it's, um, um, I'm, I'm drawing a, bit, a blank here. Uh, who's, who's that? Roberts, the actress. 
Mm. Like Julia. Julia? Roberts? Yeah, thank you. Yes. Okay. This is my like retired brain. Yes, Julia, <laughs> Julia Roberts, uh, who starred in that. And he said he and I were texting, and we thought this reminded us of the novel I Am the Cheese that you did with us. And I'm going, oh my God, right? Like you don't, and and I'll use I'll use this term and how badass it was for you to be doing that in 1982 <laughs> and I went uh okay <laughs> you know and they just said yeah like and 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 I thought here they are like like 30 years later like uh, prob- probably a little bit like more than that and so we never know the power of a text and also the choice mm-hmm. because they were in um kind of like centers that had different themes and in each one of those were six different novels that you could choose from right and so that was one that they chose um and so yeah they made that connection so you never know right no you you absolutely don't Mm -hmm. you know um there's no video on this but this painting was gifted to me by a student and this is his rendition of the sweaty toothed madman from dead poet society and he has that passage, that piece from mm. Dead Poets. And I had access the script, and we used that script in English at the mm. high school level for a number of years. And, uh, you know, did all the poems, did Midsummer Night's Dream out of that, like, you oh. know, just kind of built out into a, a piece that guided a good chunk of my year, right? Yeah. And you think, well, have you? You've made some impression, but the most bitter, perhaps the most bittersweet day in my life was the day that Robin Williams passed away. Oh, yeah. Because my Facebook was flooded by former students mm. thanking and remembering and expressing the lessons mm. that they learned from dead poets. Oh. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the beauty, that's the joy of all of this, right? Yeah. that we do as teachers is just if you're going to go on and you know like used to say you you have to read out loud yes. non-academic like the the non-academic class you have to read out loud well i don't want to read out loud okay if you, as long as you promise to never reproduce you don't have to read out loud what, <laughs> what do you mean and i'm like if you're going to have kids the only thing that's critically important to me is you're able to read to your kids and so we'd create a non, non-threatening environment. There's an elementary school mm-hmm. just pretty close to the high school. And we'd go and read to grade ones and grade twos to read out loud in a non-threatening way for those mm-hmm. non-academic kids. But it's, mm-hmm. it's totally critical. And th- those are the rewards, mm-hmm. but this is the reason, yeah. not some of those other things. Yeah. So it sounds That's like, a- Tennis, that you've, mm-hmm. like, you have been a on your A-game for text selection circa very early in your career. So what tips and tricks do you have that you share with teachers related to text selection um, in in helping improve their classroom library or the types of texts that they're using to read with their students? What are some of those go-to tips and tricks that you share? Yeah, so knowing that, that money is you know always an issue right so we've got a, a you know limited budget um 
you know, depending on the configuration of your school, if you're a small school, et cetera. So when teachers are asking, you know, about what books should I, be, first of all, I hate that question. I used to get it all the time as a language arts consultant. What books should I, you know, what novel can I do in grade seven? And, and I always felt this weight of responsibility. Like, <laughs> I don't know, the kids, you know, it's great, you know, so I, I might, you know, give a few suggestions. But my my biggest tip is, you know, as a as a group of English teachers, whether it's, you know, you're teaching middle school, you know, five to, to, to eight or you high school, is start to have those conversations. Buy a bunch of books, you know, look at a list, pass them around. The one thing about YA, which I love, is that it is a quick read, right? And it all has to do with coming of age and relationships and all of those things that we continue uh, past adolescence, you know, to, to grapple with as well. So that's the one thing is get lots of books, take your time. And, and I love, um, I actually have a subscription. Where did I put it to here? Uh, to learning for justice. And I also love, and I'm, and I'm going to put um, a couple of things for you to share. Um, in your podcast resources on, um, you know, considerations for text, but but a lot of it comes from here. They have wonderful teacher resources on the Learning for Justice website. So share that if you can. Um, but one of them is an actual um, reading diversity kind of tool for selecting, right? So, um, and I and I and I go right to diversity because I think that's important right back to what we talked about of windows mirrors and mm -hmm. and sliding glass doors and uh, I won't talk about it but I, I actually uh, read something a while ago and I've been sharing it also when it's a prism which is very cool right so not just yeah I know anyway won't go into it but so I you know first of all what voices you know does the text include right so if you're going to you know if you're going to spend the money, like take the time to ask those questions, right? And, and it's not just about race, it's about ethnicity, it's gender, um, ability, right? Um, religious stuff. Interesting today, I don't know if you saw the, the blog post uh, from a professor from King's who was a high school social studies teacher commenting, and I won't get into this too much, just about um, a little bit about the social studies curriculum and, and religion. And, you know, kind of a, yeah, anyway, it was, it was very interesting. So that's, a, you know, yeah. Uh, place, immigration, <laughs> you know, status, et cetera. There's some great books. Um, I was thinking, you know, like this one, for example, you know, Unwanted, which is uh, a graphic tech, <laughs> but, you know, stories of the Syrian refugees, right? Um, Alan Kratz, Kratz's book, um, Refugee, that came out a few years ago with, and it's told in, narrated by and told from the perspective of you know 12 year olds but one is 1939 you know and the and the, the ship the st louis with you know jewish refugees and then you go um uh, 1984 and then you move to and i forget I'm, I'm having a bit of a blank there and then 2015 which is syrian refugees there were kids sitting you know in class the power of those kids, you know, and that came in 2015 and sitting in our classrooms, I was actually, you know, recommending this book to teachers who's, who had kids, you know, in their classroom for them to see themselves in that book, 
you know, we don't have to default to, to World War II. We don't have to default, you know, always to what is historical, but to see that there is a pattern of people moving who are seeking asylum and, you know, what it means to, um, to be a people who open their arms, you know, to, uh, to others. Um, and what it means, what does home mean? You know, what does it mean to be home? And, you know, to, to, to change that. So those things, um, you know, yeah, go ahead, Rick. You, I, mm -hmm. I was out of the school system and in the system admin a little bit, but mm -hmm. in a rural district that didn't get a lot of Syrian refugees. But I mm -hmm. remember, and Charlie would remember, I think, too, in Grand Prairie when we had the Bosnian uh, population descending mm -hmm. upon us. And um, I, I, I'd flashed this Valley of the Bird Tale here for Tanis. And uh, it, the thing that makes this book so unique is the Ukrainian mm -hmm. immigrant piece that's mm -hmm. woven into the story inside this book, as we talked about in a previous podcast. Um, but I remember as a principal, um, I had these, these Bosnian students, some were doing well, some were really struggling. Uh, end of a day in a kind of spring kind of approaching snows soft enough to throw day and uh, I'm walking down the hall and a group of five or six students comes running by laughing and I'm like hey slow down and I keep on walking and a, a gentleman comes in suit tie jacket he's very upset and I don't understand him entirely so he grabs me and takes me out to his van where all the people inside the van are sobbing and the story comes across, the snowballs had hit the van. These were Bosnian <sighs> refugees. They thought they were being bombed, shelled. Well, yeah. needless to say, the vice principal, which was me at the time, found the boys, and we had a whole conversation, sit down and listen conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, snowballs, spring, that's going to happen. Look at the difference of the impact in the lives. You know, look at the story here. Understand the story. That's a different piece. And we can read about these in these books. Mm -hmm. And what did that do? That changes the entire perception of those boys about the humanity of, of, of these refugees. And we mm -hmm. see that in writing. And it just uh, mm -hmm. triggered that story in my memory there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Tanis, I'm not sure if you're through your tips and tricks list, but something I've personally been paying attention to is who is writing the story. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I think I was paying attention before, yeah. but then um, based on the echo chamber I've built for myself on social media mm -hmm. um, and the pushback that American Dirt got upon mm. release, and I haven't read it. I've purposely chosen not it. to support that text. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, who gets to tell the stories? And I try really hard um, to, to tune in and pay attention to who is writing mm -hmm. the story. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's another nuancing in the work around building diverse libraries is that we're also including diverse and authentic um, authors and spaces for voice. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of connects to, you can 
you don't always have to read about the indigenous sad stories. There's did indigenous joy mm. story. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so not always defaulting into that either. But is that something you've kind of paid attention to more, to more so yeah. in the last little while, would you say? Most definitely. And as a matter of fact, you've that was kind of the next thing I was I was going to talk about is who wrote it. And um, when I'm working with teachers on looking at representation in text in grade seven to 12, one of the one of the there's two images that I show. One is 2015, one is 2018. It's an infographic. You've probably seen it about the the distribution of, uh, you know, texts that represent, first of all, you know, characters that are diverse and um, and normalizing, you know, and again, not just, you know, stories of, you know, hardship and, you know, the, that single story, you know, kind of thing that we can talk about that, that, yeah. And, and also um, looking at, you know, the, who, who's the shift in who's writing the stories as you, as you brought up, like, um, you know, how many more writers do we have that are indigenous, you know, in 2020? We don't have that data yet. How many more, uh, you know, BIPOC writers do we have that that we didn't have before, right? Um, I have, you know, there's so many more texts that we can choose other than To Kill a Mockingbird now. And I've been having that conversation in high school. You know, I loved teaching To Kill a Mockingbird. But as, um, you know, you've, you've there, there's a lot of background knowledge, you know, when we talked about I'm a big fan of text pairing and text sets, you know, mm -hmm. no matter what it is that you're doing, whether it's science, social, math, uh, you know, language arts, if the most difficult text is that novel, what are all of the other things that you're using to make that text accessible? It kind of comes back to AC literacy days when, you know, the, the mantra was, you know, kids should only, you know, there's no, we don't do the whole class novel anymore. Um, uh, because how could you possibly have a novel that all kids can read? It's at their reading level, you know, the F&P reading level, Lexile level. It's what we do as teachers, that precision work of making that text accessible mm -hmm. to making it uh, something that kids can understand. I had a grade seven teacher a few years ago who uh, decided that she was going to um, uh, teach uh, ghost boys in grade seven. And I thought, oh, that's such a great choice, right? And I've forgotten the author. I usually remember either the title of the author, but not always both, unless it's in front of me. Um, I want to, yeah, anyway, uh, she, um, but she said at the end of the year, I was chatting with her about it just to kind of, you know, do a little bit of, uh, you know, conversation. She says, yeah, I wouldn't teach that again. It was too hard. And I said, well, what was too hard? You know, she said, well, you know, there's all kinds of references to, you know, the Jim Crow laws and, you know, all the other stuff that's going on. And I said, well, that's teach that, you know, all right, teach it up, right? Uh, there's, we have so, we, it's such a wonderful time to be alive as a teacher. We've got YouTube, we've got, you know, the world is your oyster, open up Google. And I mean, you can find poetry that's thematic. You can do all kinds of things. You can probably find the author talking about it in many cases. Oh, uh, Jill yes. Parker wrote. Yes, yes. And actually I was in a webinar that she was um, a guest speaker in and she's amazing. Yeah, just amazing. So, um, so again, it's what we do with it. Would I teach To Kill a Mockingbird again? Probably not, but I, if I did, um, I would continue to, to you know, 
I guess, to kick it off with a really rich guiding question, right? You know, to teach that stuff conceptually, um, as opposed to as a single, you know, text, because mm-hmm. um, I had one of my students once, and he just captured it perfectly. And he wouldn't, he wasn't a kid that was a great writer. But I, um, I talked about caricature, and how sometimes, and, and it was to kill a mockingbird in 10 dash one, I said, how sometimes, authors can, you know, represent, you know, people and experiences in, in a kind of a caricature, you know, care. I don't know what the adjective is for that as a caricature. And so um, I had them, they picked a character, uh, put, put the names of the, of the major characters on a, on a strips of paper and then went around and they picked one and he picked Tom Robinson and they had to do a caricature and accentuate, you know, kind of one, one characteristic and, and just kind of blow it up and accentuate it, you know, think, Think Ralph Klein, you know, caricatures, you know, uh, 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 yeah. And so uh, he he decided that he would he had he had no mouth, and because he had no voice, he had no voice. And I just thought, oh, right, you know, just amazing, right? Uh, had another student. Uh, we were actually doing Socratic seminars at the time, and they prepared one of the things. Rick, and you you'll love this from a school sports perspective. So. We had in our school, I was in a 7 to 12 school here in Edmonton, and we had a plotter printer. And the people that used the plotter printer the most were the, when the, there were tournaments going on, right? And mm-hmm. they would have the whole tournament, like, draw. I forget what. Yeah, they would have that up on the wall outside the two gymnasiums and the whole thing. I used it in the classroom. And people, <laughs> our guy in the in the uh, in the video tech department, he'd say, uh, what do you want to use this for? So, you know, I'd, I'd Microsoft publisher, I'd make it to size, I'd measured four desks together, and I had this huge kind of a placemat going on. And in one quadrant, there was, you know, uh, author craft, you know, quotations that were worth remembering. Um, and then down the center, uh, there, they each had a theme. At the end of our reading of To Kill a Mockingbird, they had to turn it into a question. And one of the questions that this group asked Nintendo, I still can remember these kids, they, they said, would you rather live with um, inconvenient truth or, or convenient lie? Mm. Or I, I forget how that, one or the other, I for, uh, probably not saying it right. And they had to also come up when they led, led the seminar, they had to present a visual that would capture the essence of that. And they draw that drew this um, uh, track shoe and there was a piece of gum on the bottom of the shoe. And of course, that was, you know, Tom Robinson. He was an inconvenient, you know, and, and of course, the Maycomb County was along the side and, you know, the whole thing, right? So kids, if it's done right, like as Trisha Abvaria of D- Disrupt Tech says, it's not enough to have just a diverse text in the classroom, right? It's not enough just to have, you know, a Jason Reynolds novel. In, in the classroom, it, it you have to interrogate the why. And so you could take a text like To Kill a Mockingbird and just, you know, teach the hell out of that thing and have those conversations. And it actually could end up being a richer, you know, experience than simply having Jason Reynolds, All-American Boys um, or A Long Way Down in your classroom, um, but not really know why you're doing it. 
right? And mm-hmm. and, inter- and and really interrogating with your kids what's happening here and providing all the rich, um, you know, context that's happening out there in the news and their own experiences, lots of, you know, wide reading. So, you know, would I teach it again to kill a mockingbird? Probably not. Um, one of the books that I, you know, might use, and I'll get back to book talking just for a minute, is is Tell the Wolves I'm Home. And Tell the Wolves I'm Home, um, and I have to remember here just for a minute who the author is. So you just give uh, me a... that's Carol Brunt. Yep. Uh, it was her debut novel, mm-hmm. Carol Rivka Brunt. Mm-hmm. And it's um it's prejudice of a different kind, right? So it, you know, racial prejudice. I would say there's um socioeconomic prejudice as well in To Kill a Mockingbird, but I would I would flip that and do Tell the Wolves I'm Home. Um, uh, you know, it's coming of age. Uh, there's, it's at the sort of the peak of the AIDS crisis in New York. Um, family secrets, identity, uh, this, you know, young girl. Um, I always like to look at the age of the protagonist also in choosing a novel. And so she's kind of right at that age, you know, 15, 16, and discovering um, that her uncle that she just absolutely adores and they have similar interests. Um, has is dying but he 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 dies of AIDS and it's at the funeral for her uncle that he meets that she meets um his long long term partner and um and it's yeah it's just this whole you know kind of story anyway it's beautiful uh lots and lots going on there but I think more for kids to kind of grab onto um, and it's not 1930s Macomb County, but it's something that they're, you know, that they're hearing about. Um, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Um, that, that does raise a, a question in my mind, um, just because recently I've, you know, we, we visited with David Robertson and for a little while, Barren Ground was, or no, no, the Great Bear was banned in, in a school division in Ontario. Uh. And, um, Nick Stone's mm-hmm. Dear Martin uh, oh. was banned in, in the United States in a couple of areas, uh, um, yeah. states, perhaps even whole mm-hmm. states at some point. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as you introduce these uh, yeah. topics and these titles, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. how do we make sure that school divisions, how do we support schools and school divisions, teachers in classroom libraries, schools mm-hmm. in libraries, communities in libraries for that matter, mm-hmm. in building this diverse library uh, in your mind. Yeah, um, and, and it, I knew exactly where you were going to go with that based on the book that I just shared. Um, is So, uh, you know, whether it's lacking courage on my part but <laughs> to say this, but I, I think... I think we have to have the conversations in our in our departments in our schools about you know what what do I do as let's say a whole class community read you know what I might do in a book club you know where I have seven or eight selections and what do I have on my shelf in classroom libraries um and I and I think um I I think that's that's kind of reality we have to really um, you know, think about that, make those kind of judicious, you know, kind of decisions. Where I'm really struggling with the book banning, and I was reading just just this morning about what's going on in Florida. 
uh, with book banning and, Mm -hmm. you know, that teachers are having to cover, you know, (laughs) cover the books and everything. I have a a niece who uh, teaches in a middle school in Nashville. I have, so I've got two, two brothers who live in the States, one in Philadelphia and one in Nashville. And, and my brother Paul's uh, one of, one of their three daughters is, is a teacher. Um, And yeah, just the, the struggle. What was really cool though, Rick, is when I was texting with her, um, she's kind of in charge of, I think she's got some like AP duties, but as well is that that whole literacy piece and buying books and all the rest of it. And they're reading David Robertson's um, books down in Nashville. And I'm just like, oh, this is so amazing, right? And it, and it, and it wasn't from a recommendation from me. It's just that uh, I was mentioning him and, and she pulled up. Yeah, she says, I've just added this, you know, this book, you know, so Barren Grounds. I thought, oh, that's just, you know, just amazing, right? So it's, um, it's, I always, you know, my daughter cautions me about this, who lives in Toronto, that, um, and she's, she's a political science, you know, major and women's study minor. (laughs) So, so we have, we have some interesting conversations about how we can't be too quick, you know, to judge the states. And as you mentioned about David Robertson's book in in Toronto, uh, to think that it can't happen here. And it, it very much can. And I think to, um, it, I think it behooves us to have to be proactive in our conversations with parent counsel uh, in our school. I've uh, as a department head in in a high school, I was where I could just giving, you know, having being invited, you know, to, to talk, asking for money for classroom libraries um, as opposed to just school basketball uniforms. Right. Is how, how do we get parents more and more educated about, you know, what what we do is as English teachers and what kind of text texts we want to have in the classroom. So, yeah, I think it, there's, there's kind of, yeah, it's, it's tough. We, we appreciated uh, David Robertson's uh, advice on this was his, his first go-to was build good policy, follow mm-hmm. your policy so yeah. that when the parents come uh, or an interest group comes, you have a policy to turn to that, you you can stand behind and mm-hmm. clearly demonstrate you know this book is within our policy and mm-hmm. appreciate your concerns but there they are and and there's mm-hmm. choice you you don't get to take the choice and agency away from everyone because you are uncomfortable mm-hmm. now he didn't say that part i say that part but that that's that's the piece you know the important thing is okay let's Let's have options, and I really love the deep dive you took into teach the the surrounding pieces around the mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. making it accessible. Well, I don't know about this. Well, let's talk about mm-hmm. what this is. You know, I, if we if we I actually believe if we don't talk about war, we'll get more war. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and that's kind of yeah. You, you've got to put it out there. If you don't talk about racism, then you get more racism because silence is, is uh, approval mm-hmm. yeah. more, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's kind of the piece of it. Yeah. What a fantastic. And, yeah. And I think, it, and, I, and I don't think, and, and you're saying this too, Rick, is it's not about us proselytizing. No. You know, about the, the, the dangers of war or of, you know, 
racism or, you know, prejudice of any kind. It's putting those voices in the room, you know, and that's where the books come in and that's where the articles come in and the own voices, right, is just the fact that we have those voices in the room and we continually circle back and, and bring more voices into the room to illuminate those dark corners. Um, it, that in itself uh, creates a, you know, those conditions that I talked about. Um, it, it's also, and I love this about language arts, although I shared with a group of teachers in Pema Nails the other day, uh, where, you know, talk and discourse in the classroom live in math, science and social nine, as well as language arts, it's there too. But also teaching how to have those difficult conversations. Um, you know, some of the, the protocols around discourse and class discussions. Um, we've got to get, and this is a, this is a, maybe a, a bit of a bias on my part. I'm not a fan of, of desks in rows. <laughs> I am not a fan of, you know, like I, I haven't taught that way since, you know, 1982. I always say it's a bit like, uh, you know, a hockey player and a, sign, a signing bonus. Uh, you know, when I moved schools is, do you have trap tables, you know, trapezoidal tables? Because, you know, that's, you know, like I, and, and in one case, <laughs> yeah. Um, because, yeah, and is that every kid's jam, you know, to be sitting with three other people or four other people? No, we have extroverts and introverts and some people that like their little island, you know, in, in, in the row. But it, um yeah, it just becomes the way that that we talk. Um, so I'm a big fan of of having protocols in place and and, and teaching kids, um, you know, the language of of conversation. You know, literacy as I think it's James Britton floats on a sea of talk, and so we have to have to create those conditions. And I can't be as the teacher afraid of those conversations. It has mm -hmm. to be, you know, getting back to Trisha Avaria about interrogating our why, you know, and that's why, you know, those those tips and tricks, you know, that that we talk about is, um, you know, why why we're why we're picking that tech, who's wrote it, as Charlie pointed out, who wrote it. Um, also considerations around, you know, criticality and critical literacy. Uh, can we is there something in there that that we can um you know really dive into you mm -hmm. know to to uh not to jump right away to a prt or a diploma essay but you know are there are there ways that we can uh, you know represent our thinking um and and you know as text creators alongside of you know how do we journey and and write and read alongside you know the the writers and the creators that that we bring into our classroom and add to and this is part of, you know, when Relay Alent talks about disciplinary literacy, uh, one of our, our, you know, commitments to to the class to is is not only to have conversations, but to build the knowledge base of yeah. of the learning community. And so, if we think of the classroom as a learning community, how do we continue to build the knowledge base? Right. So we have to to not just read these things, but also create. Um, uh, you know, the, the things that really, you know, move that message forward. Which creates an environment where you can embrace the notion that the more you know, the more you need to know more. Yeah. And I, I think as you were talking about, you know, if we 
someone much wiser than me once uh, wrote down, teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so the idea here is to provide some agency of choice. Age appropriate, there's no doubt that there's a need for, you know, these books are not uh, grade three accessible, grade four accessible, but mm-hmm. they are here and to have some entry levels, same sort of subjects at this mm-hmm. age, this age, this age, and this age. But agency is an important piece and shouldn't just be given lip service. Like you yeah. actually have to give people choice and giving them choice on how they share what they've learned. That's probably a, a whole nother podcast. Maybe we bring in Angela Stockman or somebody to have to, to investigate that. But I love how your frequent references to the Disrupt Text team. Uh, we had them uh, at our inaugural uh, Alberta mm-hmm. Summer Lit all four of them uh, came and spoke, and we certainly appreciate and support their work and really mm-hmm. appreciate you giving that voice in this. Thanks so much for your time today, Tannis. What Ooh. a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Talk books, all of the things, yes. Right? How do I get paid for this? This is what I love. <laughs> what? Yeah, so much fun. So much fun. She's only half, uh, she's not even half kidding. Let's do it again. We'll come at it on a writing uh, piece another time or, uh, and, and come back at that. So uh, mm-hmm. we do thank everybody for tuning in and uh, hope that you enjoy this series. We have uh, many more episodes uh, to go. And uh, if you're uh, following and would like to reach out with a suggestion, please uh, don't hesitate to contact Charlie or myself. Our contact information is available. And uh, Tannis, thank you for being an awesome all-star championing the cause of literacy and reading across the curriculum. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Great to see you guys. Take care, everybody, and we'll be back uh, with another uh, episode of Reading Across the Curriculum on our ARPDC uh, podcast soon. Take care. (laughs)